the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. God doesn't work this way. God doesn't play games with people like that. He doesn't say, all right, I'm going to stir the water. You don't know when, so you got to watch all the time. You got to be there 24 hours a day. And all of a sudden, I'm going to stir the water. And the first one in, I'll heal you. All the rest of you too bad. Get back in line. Try again. That's not God. That's not his character. That's not his nature. God God doesn't play games. He doesn't treat people that way. In today's message, Pastor Dan will examine the account of Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. This pool was believed to have healing powers, but if it had any power, it was not of God. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't endow a physical object with supernatural power. When he heals, it's not because you could be the first one to get in a pool or even because you could touch his robe. He heals because you have faith in him and trust that what he wills for you is best. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of John chapter 5 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. John chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. And the Jews, therefore, said to him, who was cured. It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? 
But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Uh, Chapter five marks a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. It's not a turn for the better. It's a turn for the worse. This is the point when the religious leaders began to seek how they might kill Jesus. And so from this point in chapter five onward, the opposition against Jesus will just continue to grow and grow and grow until finally he's crucified. And what what caused uh, the religious leaders to want to kill Jesus is right here in chapter five, the healing of this paralyzed man, this lame man at the pool of Bethesda, it all stems from this incredible event that's described, this miracle that's described here. Uh, And by the way, the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, this is the third miracle, the third sign of seven that John records for us. Remember, he told us the first two. He said, this is the first sign. This is the second sign. And I told you uh, that he's not going to tell us anymore. He's not going to count for us anymore. We got to count the rest on our own. Well, this is the third sign of the seven signs recorded in John's gospel. And John, remember, he writes this gospel to show us that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah and that he's the son of God, meaning he's God and the flesh uh, so that we would put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And John uh, uses these seven signs, these seven miracles to point to the identity of Jesus Christ. Uh, So look at verse 1 again. Verse 1 begins by saying, after this, referring to the events in the previous chapter, chapter 4, we don't know how long of an interval of time passed between chapter 4 and the events of chapter 5, but it's after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. John doesn't tell us which feast this was Uh, if you read a bunch of commentaries they all have different ideas about which feast this was but uh, we don't know it doesn't tell us john doesn't tell us john seems to mention that there was a feast of the jews only to explain to us why jesus was back in jerusalem he went back to jerusalem to celebrate the feast now every time in john's gospel when jesus goes to jerusalem he gets in a confrontation with the religious leaders Every time, every time he's in Jerusalem, he gets in a confrontation with the leaders of of Judaism. And this time is no different. Verse two, we're told there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And this is not the Bethesda that's down off the beltway near D.C., (laughs) although that's it gets its name from this story. So there's, there's a pool in Jerusalem, we're told. It's near the sheep gate. The sheep gate was where they kept the sheep for the sacrifices in the temple. And they would bring them into the temple through the sheep gate. And by the way, the sheep that were sacrificed in the temple 
for sins, those sheep were raised in the little town of Bethlehem. Uh, And remember in the Christmas story, when Jesus is born, the angel appears to the shepherds in the field who are watching their sheep by night. The shepherds in Bethlehem, they raise the sheep for sacrifice in the temple. And so those shepherds that are out in the field in Bethlehem most likely were were watching over sheep that were going to be sacrificed at the temple. And it's announced first to those shepherds the birth of Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so here we're told there's this pool. It's near the sheep gate there in Jerusalem. It's called Bethesda. This this pool sat only about 100 yards north of the temple mount. Uh, So it's just a stone's throw away from the temple. This pool, uh, it was the size of about two football fields. It's huge. And it was 20 feet deep at its deepest point. It was just a huge pool there. Uh, We're told here in verse 5 that it had five porches, four around the perimeter and then one across the center of the pool. And it's, and it's called the Pool of Bethesda. The name Bethesda means the house of mercy, the house of mercy. Uh, but it was more of a house of misery, as we're going to see. Look at verse 3. In these, in these porches around the pool, lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, and they were waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Uh, So this pool, it was a gathering place for the sick and the diseased, the blind, the lame and paralyzed. Verse three says a great multitude, multitude laid lay around that pool Uh, Some estimate as many as 3,000 people gathered around that pool. Imagine that. Just this, this, you know, this massive humanity that they're sick and diseased and paralyzed and disabled and uh, just lying there around this pool. And it says they're waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4 tells us, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, we don't know for sure historically where this belief came from, uh, where this uh, superstition came from, that an angel would come down and stir the water and that whoever got in first was healed. Uh, it, it could be, there's, a, there's a, you know, a number of possibilities. It could be that maybe somebody genuinely was healed at that pool at some time in the past, And then now it it becomes a place where the sick and diseased and paralyzed and disabled, they now gather there hoping to be healed in the same way. We don't know. But somehow this superstition had developed over time. Uh, You know, it's interesting. uh, Archaeologists have found evidence of it being a pagan site, uh, that it was actually a place of pagan worship at one point. Uh, So so that, that could be part of it. Uh, But there's this superstition uh, that developed uh, this belief that an angel would come down at a certain time, you know, an unscheduled time and stir up the water. Uh, Then whoever stepped into the water first was healed of whatever disease he had. So the first one in was made well. Second one in was a rotten egg, right? You know, uh, 
Actually, you consider the, the uh, pool was 20 feet deep. Second one in needs to be rescued, you know, if they get into that pool second. Uh, we don't know if there were any actual healings that took place there. It could, again, it could have just been this superstition. If you've got 3,000 people sitting there on the edge of this pool waiting for the water to be stirred, and then once the water is stirred, 3,000 people jump in at the same time. Who got in first? Who knows? So we don't know how this superstition came about, but I do know it was not of the Lord. It was not of the Lord. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. If there was an angel... Uh, that stirred the water, which, you know, there probably wasn't. Some people think there was just a spring that would bubble up occasionally. Uh, but if, it, if there was an angel, it was an angel, an angel of the Lord. Uh, the reason we know that is because this isn't how God works. God doesn't work this way. God doesn't play games with people like this. He doesn't say, all right, I'm going to stir the water. You don't know when, so you got to watch all the time. You got to be there 24 hours a day. And all of a sudden, I'm going to stir the water. And the first one in, I'll heal you. All the rest of you too bad. Get back in line. Try again. Like, that, that's not God. That's not his character. That's not his nature. God doesn't, God doesn't play games. He doesn't treat people that way. So if there was an angel, it's not an angel of the Lord. It might be a fallen angel. It might be a demon stirring this up. But it's not the Lord. It's not God. That's just not how God works. In fact, in a moment, we're going to see how God works. So I, I, I believe it was more likely just a superstition of some kind that really was no healing or anything that took place there. Verse 5, we're told about one particular man who was at this pool. Again, there's thousands of people crowded around this pool. And we're told in verse 5 of a certain man. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 Years. So this man had an infirmity, he had some kind of uh, debilitating illness, a disease, some, some kind of something that made him uh, lame for 38 years. That's a long time. That's a long time to have a chronic illness. How, how many of you, show of hands, how many of you are 38 years old or younger? Anybody, few of you. You know, that's a long time. It's a long time to deal with a, de- a debilitating disease, chronic illness. Now, later in the passage, uh, we're going to learn that this illness was apparently uh, the result of sin in his life. In other words, this was the, just the natural consequence of his, his behavior. Something that he did brought this upon him. But there's a price that's paid for sin. There's a price for sin. Uh, sin... Uh, All sin has a spiritual consequence, separates us from God. It it breaks our relationship with God. It hinders our relationship with God. 
Some sin has a physical consequence. It can harm you physically. It can even kill you. And th- this guy, he, he has a debilitating disease now that seems to be the result of sin in his life. You know, that's, that's why the Bible tells us, and that's why God tells us not to do certain things. That's why God says, hey, these things are off limits for you. Not because he's trying to keep things from us for, or, or steal our joy from us, but he's saying to us, these things are off limits because they're dangerous for you. Because there are consequences to these things. Spiritual consequences, physical consequences sometimes. And what I want you to notice about this man is that this man is not seeking God. He's a hundred yards away from the temple. He's not seeking God. He's not looking to God to heal him. He's looking to this pool to heal him. He's looking to superstition to heal him. He's not looking to God. He's not, his hope is in this superstition. His hope is not in God. He, he, he has no desire for God. He, he doesn't know that he needs Jesus. He doesn't know that Jesus is what he's really looking for. He has no clue who Jesus is. As we're going to see later on in the passage, he doesn't even know Jesus's name. But I want you to see here, not only is this guy not seeking after God, but Jesus seeks after him. Jesus goes to him. Now, there are some people that you read in the Gospels that they come to Jesus for a, for a healing. Right. There's the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years and she sought Jesus out and just wanted to touch the hem of his garment. Right. She was seeking Jesus. But here, this guy, he's not seeking Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know that he needs Jesus. But Jesus seeks him out. Jesus goes to him, finds him. Why does Jesus do that? Because Jesus loves him. God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus will seek this man out and Jesus will heal this man because of his love for him. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's seeking after one of his lost sheep. This guy, this guy doesn't know he's a lost sheep and he doesn't know the shepherd of his soul yet. So this, this is a guy who's not seeking a healing from God. Uh, he doesn't, you know, we, would, we might say he doesn't deserve, deserve it. He's not even seeking it. Yet Jesus loves him. Jesus comes to him. Jesus has compassion on him. Now, it's just like the Samaritan woman that we saw in chapter four. Uh, she, she wasn't looking for Jesus. She wasn't looking for a savior. Uh, Jesus came to her. Right. She was just going about her day, going to fetch some water at the well. And Jesus kind of just stepped into her day and began to speak to her and revealed himself to her. She was just going about her daily routine. You know, that's what Jesus does here. Here's this guy who's just doing what he does. And Jesus now is going to come and reveal himself to him and heal him. And, you know, sometimes the Lord does that in a person's life where Jesus just shows up. And someone is not even seeking the Lord, doesn't know anything about the Lord, has no concern for the Lord. And then Jesus just kind of interrupts their day and reveals himself. To that person, this guy he, in our story, he, he doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know that Jesus is what he needs. Uh, he's he's seeking healing from this pool, not God. He's not at the temple. Verse six says, now, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long 
time. So Jesus just had this knowledge. He's omniscient. Now watch what Jesus says here. He said to him, do you want to be made well? I want you to try to picture this scene in your mind for a moment. Uh, you know, you saw the pictures of the pool of, of, of Bethesda and imagine thousands of people there, you know, lying on mats. They're sick. They're diseased. They're lame. They're paralyzed. They're disabled. And they're just all lying around this pool, this massive humanity. All of them have their eyes glued on the water. They're all staring at the water. Jesus is walking in their midst and they're all looking at the water. The God who created them is walking with them and and they're looking at the water, watching for a bubble to come up. And Jesus walks up to this guy, one guy who's, who's lying on the ground. He's lame. He's disabled. This guy doesn't know who Jesus is. He's never heard of Jesus. He's never seen Jesus before. And Jesus doesn't introduce himself to the guy. Jesus doesn't, you know, lean over and say, hey, I'm Jesus. I can really help you out. I can heal you. Jesus instead walks up to the guy and says, you want to be made well? It's kind of a strange question to ask somebody, isn't it? Do you want to be made well? The answer seems obvious, right? Uh, the, the, question, the question maybe even seems to us, um, you know, just lacking compassion, you know, for the guy. To ask him. You know, do you want to be made well? A guy who's lame, paralyzed, laying on the ground. It seems a little insensitive to ask a guy like that in that condition. Do you want to be made well? The answer seems obviously, of course, he must want to be made well. Well, maybe not, though. You know, not everybody who's lame wants to be made well. Not everybody does. Some people like their condition that they're in. Some people have grown comfortable in the condition that they're in. And they don't really want to be made well. They don't really want to change. They don't really want to get better. They may say they do. They may say, I'm tired of being like this. I want to be different. I want things to change. I want things to improve. I don't want to live the rest of my life like this. I've already had so much of my life living like this. And I don't want to do it anymore. I want to, I want to be better. And for some people, not all people, but for some people, it's just words. It's not really the desire of their heart. They don't really desire to change. Uh, They really just want to stay in the condition that they're in. They just want to kind of stay in their lameness. And so this question that Jesus asks, it's really an important question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to change? you You have to want to change. There has to be a desire there to want to change. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring true. That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. Thanks for joining Pastor Dan as he continued his verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of 1 John. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you'll be able to find it on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you never miss an edition of this program. Every time we post something new, you'll be notified. We'd love to hear from you, too, and learn how Ring of Truth has impacted your life. Please take some time soon to give us a call at 410-491-4592. Please let us know how we can be praying for you, too. And if God's doing something wonderful, we'd love to rejoice with you. That number again to reach us is 410-491-4592. Do you live in the Baltimore, Washington area? If so, 
You're invited to join us here at Calvary Chapel this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. Find out more at our website. One more time, that's calvaryec.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Tune in next time to learn more from the book of 1 John with Pastor Dan, right here on Ring of Truth. Good night.